a key thing that we need to do is build trust so that when you start talking or I start talking, people go, I don't agree, or I don't think I like it, but he's a good guy. I'm going to keep listening. You know, it doesn't mean a pushover, but give him the benefit of the doubt. And one of the things we tend not to do so much is do things to actively build trust. So it's like we go after trust when we want people to buy something. And a better thing to do is to be available. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the things that might be one of the more difficult things to do as human beings, and that is to change. Change is one of those things that we all sometimes recognize that it needs to be done, but oh boy, do we ever have resistance doing it. Except sometimes when it's you leading the change, but why is it so hard to recruit everybody to change their point of view to yours? And so the person I have today to talk to us about it is Rick Maurer, and he is the president of Maurer & Associate. It's a consulting firm that provides leaders who want to lead the change, and he has the expertise in helping and them identify the deeply hidden resistances and turn their opposition into support. He is a speaker. He is an author. He's an advisor to leaders on influence and leading change. And really, that's what we want to dig into today because change can be hard. And when you're doing it with a group of people as a leader, it can be even harder. And so what's going on here? How do we find out better ways to do it? And Rick is going to guide us through this. Rick, welcome to the show. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jason. It's good to be here. Now, you've written several books. I know recently you've written Seizing Moments of Possibility, Ways to Trigger Energy and Forward Momentum in Your Ideas and Plans, which is a bit of an interesting place to start because I was telling you just before we hit the record button is I feel like sometimes I've initiated great ideas. I've had something. I try to get everybody in the organization to just do what my genius idea was. And for some reason, people were not as enthusiastic as me. What are we seeing here? What's going on? <laughs> you're, you're working with fools. That's what's going on. Here. That's what I thought. I told yeah, myself that. No, that's it. You know, it's funny. I've got to tell you a quick story. When I was in graduate school, I was studying to work with emotionally disturbed kids in schools. And it turns out it was a radical program, which I didn't realize at the time. And the philosophy was a lot of these kids aren't disturbed. It's the schools that are disturbed. And if you can change the systems, you'll have fewer kids acting crazy. And so the idea is we would get hired as teachers, but basically our job was to help the school change. So you can imagine, this is where your story comes in. I walk into a school just out of graduate school, except for being in the army as a musician. I had never worked a day in my life. And I'm saying to these teachers who had 30 years experience, hi, I'm here to help. And every, every time I came up with a genius idea, they would go, that's really nice, young man. And I got really interested in how come somebody else could be in the meeting. Let's say somebody named Jason, and they go, blah, 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 blah. And I go, wait a minute, I just said that yesterday. So I got really interested in what happens. What am I doing wrong? And what's going So I got really interested in the psychology of why people support, why they resist. And that's led me to where I am. But to really answer your questions, I found that there are three main reasons why people resist us. And the good news is they are the same three reasons why they might support us. And one, if it's resistance, is I don't get it. 
I don't understand what you're saying. Now that's a pretty easy one, but it can happen. Let's say you're in the information technology department and you're trying to influence people in marketing and you're using your professional jargon and stuff that works great in your own team, it can really get in the way. So that's an easy fix if you pay attention. So the first, the easiest one is I don't get it. The second one is I don't like it. And this is a strong emotional reaction. It's not like, well, I don't like Brussels sprouts. It's like, there's something about your idea that scares me. It's, I fear for my life. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but adrenaline flows and I go into survival mode. And when that happens, I literally can't listen to what you're saying. That's the second one. And that's a big one. So now we got, I don't get it. I don't like it. And the third one is, I don't like you. And well, yeah, sorry, sorry to spring that on you. But the reason that happens, it's basically, I don't have trust and confidence in the person coming up with the idea. I may like them fine, but they go, oh, Rick, oh man, what's he doing? You know, he did something like this three months ago and he just took another workshop and now he's back doing stuff. So I have a reputation of going into things half cocked, or it may not even be me. It may be who I represent. Like, hi, I'm from headquarters. I'm here to help or whatever. And anyway, so it's, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't like you or the, the opposite side is what you're looking for. All right. Well, Rick, you just gave us a blueprint here of where we can dig a little deeper. And, you know, I have to start with the one that I feel is the one that I get the triggered most about is, especially when it comes to bringing on some new, like, call it project management tools or CRMs. And let's say I'm on the sales team and someone's like, great, we're going to use this new thing. Maybe it's called Airtable. Maybe it's called Monday.com because someone saw an ad on YouTube and they're wanting to change the way we do our processes, et cetera. And I have to admit, like I've been someone who's wanted to change these things and I've initiated these changes for platforms I've wanted to bring up. But when someone else brings it up, I don't like it. I'm number two. I have a strong <laughs> emotional resistance. I fear for my life. I've, I've quit a job be over yeah. this because I was like, I refuse to use this. And, and I, I, it was the trigger that made me decide, hey, maybe I want to do a career change. So that I don't like it, I feel is the most rich piece here. So like, what's going on here? Is it just because I didn't come up with the idea? Like, what's my, hmm. what's my root here? Why, why did I become so resistant over a technology change? And I looked at it like it was necessary to change my entire career. <laughs> Gee, thank you for sharing, Jason. Well, you're right. It's that level two is really important. And so a number of things can be going on, but just on the surface, what can trigger it is it's just an immediate reaction that happens before the rational part of the brain kicks in. So imagine we're in a meeting and you're listening and you're going, okay, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with him, but I'm listening. And I use the word downsizing. And suddenly your brain goes elsewhere. You go into survival mode, adrenaline is flowing, muscles tense up. And what you then miss is the rest of that sentence where I say, but I got to assure you, downsizing isn't going to happen here because I've already gone there. And that can happen in a heartbeat. And the problem with it in organizations is generally we don't have a language to handle level two. Like when you say, well, do you have any concerns, any questions? People won't address I'm scared out of my mind. They'll say, could you go back to the last slide? I have a question about the budget projections. I have a question. And so we have this very polite conversation and I think everything is going fine because you're asking me solid level one questions. 
And inside, you're just roiling. I mean, you got to get out of there. And maybe it's because you didn't come up with it first. And so the survival stuff could be, wait a minute, if I'm going to get ahead here or I'm going to make my mark, I got to be number one on this. So that very well could be, which is perfectly natural, perfectly human. I mean, we're all emotional creatures, right? So I know there's no level of rationality that happens to it, but it's just something that's very normal. Like we, yes. we get emotionally triggered and it can be certain words, it could be certain activities, it could be something that's just not familiar. But, you know, going back to even the level one, that I don't get it. I mean, there's even that where now I'm going to switch roles. I've been the one pushing down, you know, a technology. I remember I was trying to bring a CRM within an organization and I was like, it was a level of, I didn't get it, how people didn't get it. And it seems like as someone who was presenting an idea or to initiate a change, I assumed everybody saw things the same way as me. And yeah. so there was almost like context that I forgot to lay out. Would that be a common mistake? And how do we yes. make sure not to do that? First of all, yes, it's a common mistake. And by the way, it's once we come up with something that we like, like a new CRM, suddenly the context makes sense to us. I mean, we don't even think about context anymore because we're living in it. It just, and so it's hard. And so this is a hard thing to do, but before the meeting, just stopping and saying, hmm, I wonder how Mary might react to that. I wonder how Bill might react. And just a couple of people that might get you to go, oh yeah, they, had, they don't have the same context. They don't live in that world of customer relationship management. I mean, they don't, so I need to give some context. I mean, that could be one thing. Another thing you can do, it's just amazingly simple, is you could talk for five minutes max saying, you know, so this is what I got in mind, but before I go into detail, what questions do you have? What's concerning you? And then the thing to do is to shut up. Because silence, when we're the speaker, can seem like it's taken forever. So I say, so that's the idea. So before I go into details and bore you to tears, just what's your initial reactions? And then I've got to stay there. So a couple things like that can be really, really helpful. Another thing you can do, and I've seen an organization do this with, they brought everybody together who was going to work on a change. And they said, look, you all have been through this before. We've got decades of experience, what could go wrong? And people love getting to talk about what could go wrong. And then at the end of that, they'd say, all right, so which of these are the real killers? What can we do to avoid those problems? Or what do we do? But the energy was actually allowing people to talk about what could go wrong. So that might be a way when you're presenting the new CRM or saying, all right, so look, you've had all kinds of new software before. What could go wrong with this one? And it helps, it helps you answer some questions that you might not even thought to address. I find that's particularly powerful because at that point you can actually see what is on people's minds before any of your assumptions of what you think they know gets buried with your presentation that you're planning to steamroll through and trying to get everybody <laughs> to your point of view. And it's like, all right, I'm assuming everybody's starting from base camp, right? And some people are like, I haven't put my hiking shoes on yet. What's going on here? <laughs> So yeah. if I understand this correctly, number one is just talk about like the headline of what the idea is. And even before presenting anything, just ask what are concerns and questions you might have before I go into details. It's a powerful strategy just to get people to make sure they get it and they all start from the same foundation. And the second one is if you're dealing with a group of experts and you want to lead a change, starting with finding out what are the fears and the things that could potentially go wrong. And from there, you can iron out all these things before any details have been shared, maybe keeping those emotional triggers at yes. bay 
before you even move forward into the details of what you want? Because it seems like there needs to be a bit of a separation between, you know, understanding the logical issues happening here versus our emotional ways of, you know, dealing within the workplace. Well, yes and no. Yes, it would be nice if that happened, but they really are intertwined. So I said, I gave that example that I'm making a presentation and I use the word downsizing. So as I'm making the presentation, it's just a bullet point on a slide. You know, there's no emotion there. It's just stuff I'm talking about. But your reaction is highly emotional. So it's rare that people are going to stay engaged for very long and not have some sort of emotional reaction going on, which could be interest, it could be willingness, or it could be oh man, we just heard that last month, or grumbling, or I got to stop this thing. I mean, it could be a whole range of things. But the emotions, I mean, we make any good salesperson, any good car salesperson knows people buy on emotion, and then they justify it based on facts and figures. And we somehow forget that in our PowerPoint presentations. And we just say, I'll give them another slide that gives them more data. We are emotional creatures. And I think when it comes to change is when our emotions are probably at the highest level, which yes. I mean, you know, I'm a, by the way, I'm somebody who's writing a book on selling with love. So sales is my bread and butter. And it's what I love. And this is it. Like if you're selling something, you're basically leading people through a change. You're trying to make them make a decision that's different than what they usually make as decisions. So doing that within an organization has to have that kind of level of salesmanship. And I love that you're using these examples that get people, you know, to understand them before having them understand you really good principles, you know, Stephen Covey style here. But again, those emotions, they're a big, big deal. And so are there certain key types of change that trigger more emotions than others? I mean, you've talked about the downsizing being one that like puts your risk of your job. Like, are those the things that we should address first? In some ways, I mean, almost anything can trigger <laughs> trigger us depending on who we are and what's going on. But yeah, downsizing is a big one. Or any project like it might trigger in me, I'm an old dog, I can't learn new tricks. Or can I keep up? I can't keep up with, you know, I'm still using a flip phone. I'm still dotted, you know, anything that demands kind of a new kind of knowledge or is going to disrupt my life in some way, like we're going to reorganize and we're going to move to Nome, Alaska, or we're going to do this or that, could either be very exciting or very frightening. And so what we have to do is say, hmm, how might people react to this? I know how I'm reacting, but how might they react? And if when we do that, and if we can step in their shoes, even momentarily, to sell with love, to use your phrase, we have a much better chance of going, oh, yeah, I could miss that. In fact, could I tell you a quick story? Please. Okay, I was headed toward a birthday that was a, one of those big turning point birthdays, you know, and I was, you know, a midlife crisis, and I had to do something to show I wasn't that old. And I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I thought about it and thought about it. And I knew that my wife, Kathy, and I do a lot of outdoor stuff. In fact, we just got back from hiking in Colorado and we're going to do raft the Grand Canyon in three weeks. And it's just, we love doing outdoor stuff. And I saw this article in the Sunday paper. And as I'm reading it, I thought, this is perfect. This is, and I got so excited. And I said, Kathy, put down the paper. I got it. I would like, I know what I'd like us to do on my birthday. And she knew this was important. I said, okay, next February, what I'd like us to do is get on a plane and go from Washington, D.C., where we live, 
to Fairbanks, Alaska, charter a bush plane, go up into the Arctic Circle and take dog sleds out for two weeks. And by the way, I, I hope people could see your reaction because her reaction was kind of similar. And it was kind of like, I married a stupid man. You know, and, and she's just shaking her head. So now I'm coming up with selling points. And she said, stop. She said, look, you could take the trip by yourself if you wanted. She said, there's a couple of things you don't remember about me, but she's, you know, we've been married a long time at this point. So the fact that I didn't remember a couple of things, she said, one, I don't like to be cold and I don't care for dogs. So I immediately thought of two rebuttals, you know, which I didn't use fortunately, but the rebuttals were, no, they're going to give us U.S. Army Arctic gear. It's good to 70 below, and it's not supposed to get much below 50 below. This, I'm a great salesperson, as you can see. And the other is, you'll have a team of dogs, so will I, but the team is going to be so far out ahead of you, you're hardly even going to see them. These were my selling points. <laughs> well, you can see, so here is somebody I love. I would love to have do this with me. And immediately, I'm in sales mode, and I'm getting this really strong reaction you know, to it. And it just, it can happen in a heartbeat. So it's really... Whenever we put on that hat, that's kind of old-fashioned checkered coat kind of sales hat that we have to watch out. Well, I was going to ask you about that change, because as much as we can learn these strategies to help people get on board with a change we want to lead, sometimes we get caught up in our own ideas, whether it's that level two, we talk about, you know, I don't like it is a way to resist change. There's the other side, which is I love it irrationally and emotionally, <laughs> and I want everyone else to love it like me. I know, I know. And being a salesperson myself, I mean, Rick, I think I've went through this myself a lot of time. How, how do I gut check myself? Like, how do I make sure that I'm not going down this rabbit hole of being a little uh, far-fetched with my ideas and being way too much of an advocate? Well, it's a great question, and it doesn't get asked often enough. I just, as you mentioned, I just wrote a book, and I did something different this time. I wrote the introduction, which is a page and a half, to say, this is why this book is important, here's what I'm going to cover. You know, basically you need this book. And I sent it to 10 executives who I knew, and these are my primary audience for the book. And I said, I really want to know what you think. And I thought this was brilliant writing on my part. I mean, no one has written a page and a half like that before. And these people, you know, no, that's true. Nobody had written a page and a half like that, but they, they were great. I mean, they, they gave me tons of notes, stuff that seemed perfectly clear to me, places where I was redundant and didn't realize I was redundant, and places where, by their understanding, I wasn't making my point. So here I am trying to get people to go, wow, I need this book, and I was missing it. So asking for feedback really early on, when the idea is still a germ of an idea, for me, there's a sweet spot. If, if an idea is just kicking around in my head, I don't talk about it because I don't want to critique at that point. But at some point, I'll pick up a phone and say, hey, can you give me 10 minutes? Here's what I'm thinking. That kind of stuff is really helpful. And the key for me is to ask people who I trust. I really always shake my head when somebody sends out one of their blast emails and say, boy, could you give me feedback on this? And I thought, you are a braver person than me. And the problem is, you're getting feedback from people who have a lot of experience, have no experience, who have an ax to grind. I want to know that if I send it to Jason, what I'm going to get is an honest reaction. 
And I would say doing that before you're so in love with your idea that you couldn't be swayed anyhow. Mm. Yeah, I find the longer you are with that idea, the more you become attached to it. And then that becomes, now you start disregarding any evidence against your, your child. It's like, you, it becomes your baby, right? Yes, yes. And so I like this idea of just find, if you have a group of key advisors or people that you would respect their opinion a lot, early on, you know, see if they can have a little bit of a thesis of your idea before developing it so much that you become so attached to it and see if you can get that relevant feedback. And don't be careful with the feedback you get because everybody has a different level of feedback. Not all feedback should be treated the same. Right. Rick, I really love the conversation so far because we're talking about if we want to implement this change, you know, there's things that we have to do. You talked about, you know, people don't get it. You have to be sure to elaborate to make sure they really understand it in the way they need to understand it in their context. You gave us a couple strategies on making sure that, you know, asking the questions early, even without going into the details, making sure that everybody starts from the same point when you're about to go into your presentation or your pitch about what change you want to do. We talked about how we have emotions that will come up and we need to acknowledge that, that the emotion is going to be what makes the decision. And so realizing that there's certain words that can trigger people, we try to put ourselves on other people's shoes saying like, how are they going to react based from their position and see if we can preemptively address these and get some early buy-in if ever we discuss with them about how we think it's going to impact them. But I really wanted us to close on that third point, which I think is really fascinating. You talked about one of the resistance to change is I don't like you. And you cannot just be you as an individual, but what you represent, what title you have. And I'm going to use the most easy example is uh, if I'm a, I'm Canadian, but I'll use the American example is if I am a Republican and a Democrat presents an idea, I will reject it just on the basis of them being on the opposing party. Yes. And this is something we see a lot in the news and everything. So what's going on there? And is there anything we can do about it? Well, okay, I won't go into our political waters because Mrs. Maurer didn't raise a fool. But frankly, we are so polarized in our country around that, that if I were to say something that leaned one way or the other, you'd lose part of your audience. But so let me talk about it in the workplace. A key thing that we need to do is build trust so that when you start talking or I start talking, people go, I don't agree, or I don't think I like it, but he's a good guy. I'm going to keep listening. You know, it doesn't mean our pushover, but give him the benefit of the doubt. And one of the things we tend not to do so much is do things to actively build trust. So it's like we go after trust when we want people to buy something. And a better thing to do is to be available. I remember a classic book came out maybe 30 years ago by Tom Peters and Robert Waterman called In Search of Excellence. And they looked at well-run companies. And one of the things they saw is, I think one of the companies called it management by wandering around. And so that the leaders were just out there without an agenda, just available. Now you can't do that all the time. And we're far more diversified. We're on different continents now. That's not as possible but you can start a meeting a little bit early. I was on a meeting today and I got on 10 minutes early and there were a few people there. So we get to have a chance just to, to talk a little bit. That's an opportunity not to try to sell yourself, but the people go, wow, you know, he knows how to listen or, you know, he really respected me. And I remember working with a head of, in a hospital and in America, the way hospitals get patients primarily is through physician practices. So my practice would affiliate with your hospital. And this one hospital was having a real problem with that. And so they hired a woman, very, very bright, understood healthcare 
you know, as a business. And she called me in one day and said, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. I mean, none of these doctors are signing up. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, doctors don't like meetings. I mean, they're busy. So we have like 15 minute meetings and they're stand up meetings. And I said, that's great. And she said, but nothing's working. I said, so tell me a little bit. And she said, well, I get there. It's supposed to start at nine. I get there at nine, nine fifteen. I go, well, thank you very much. I leave. I said, all right, I'll, I'll call her Betty. I said, Betty, you need to learn to drink more coffee. And she looked at me like, what are you talking? I said, you need to get there early to just hang out for just a few minutes and stay if anybody's hanging out over afterwards having a cup of coffee. That's when they're going to get to know you. And it's also when they're going to get to know the hospital. So now the hospital just isn't that set of big buildings down the end of the block. It's like, oh, that's Betty. And, you know, it's when we're in presentation mode, it's harder to build trust. It's in those off moments. Or I remember I had a client one time, the first time I ever met him, I walk in his office and he had posters and photographs from University of Alabama football. A guy named Bear Bryant used to be the coach. I mean, it was just all over the place. And <laughs> I just made a try. I said, so do you like football? And I mean, the guy just laughs, you know, and he just laughs. And I told him that Woody Hayes, who was another big contemporary, had actually been the coach in my high school way before I was there. And so it just gave, gave him something to talk about that wasn't that organization, you know, and it's so that we're human with each other. And I think that to go to your phrase, sales with love, I think that people who can really do that build a relationship. And they can do it in the moment. It doesn't have to be they're taking people out to dinner and doing all that stuff. It's like, you know, you kind of know, but we have to be paying attention to it. You know, it makes me think about the fact that when we want to do change, you know, number one, people want to do change or we want to trust people that they like. So being likable is a huge thing. And to be liked, especially in this frame of you wanting to push in ideas, oftentimes we're so far into our ideas that we're almost in the future, we're not even in the present. Yes. And if you're in the presentation, you do your presentation, then if you're not showing that you're present with the people, it shows that you don't care for the people. And I think not showing that you care already is a big no-no for people to even like you. And so I love this idea of making sure that you always show up early, you always stay a little later. Because every time I've done a presentation, most of the most relevant conversations always happen. Well, you finish the presentation, people come talk to you after. Or if those are really interested, they'll come to you first. And so I think whenever you're doing these meetings, you set a time, but be there 15 minutes at least in advance. Because those who are going to be your champions for that change are going to come early and ask questions, and they're going to stay after and ask questions, right? Yeah. And even the people who are the onlookers, you know, they're looking it over and you're laughing with somebody else. I mean, there's like, oh, this is a real human being. You know, it's just, it's, you're making it safe for people to actually invite you to a meeting. It's a bit of an overstatement on my part, but you really, yeah, it works with the people who are really going to be your champions, but it lets other people know that, oh yeah, he's a good guy. Mm. And I think that goes a, a really long way. I think I would have been the person, especially when I look back at the examples I said earlier about times I've tried to push change is I've been so into the benefits of the change I want to do. I was so into the moving forward with the idea I wanted to propose that I did not take the time and I was being impatient with it. And then guess what? I was being arrogant about it. 
because it seemed so clear to me that this was a good change. And guess what? It wasn't a success. It made me look a bit like a fool. Not that I have any regret trying that idea is something that I learned, but if I had been aware of the things that you teach, Rick, I think I would have had a lot more success pushing technology products within organizations that I work in. And I think I would have been able to build more credibility, more trust, and being able to do it more elegantly in the process as well. So I think your toolkit is extremely valuable for everybody tuning in. And I would love to encourage everyone to go and pick up a copy of the book, particularly Beyond the Wall of Resistance and Why Don't You Want What I Want. These are some of Rick's <laughs> foundational work that'll go much deeper into what we've discussed today. We've just touched the tip of the iceberg here, but really, if you are going to be bringing change into the organization, remember the three key things that people resist is they don't get it, they don't like it, or they don't like you. Try to diagnose where you're seeing to have the most problems. And if it's don't get it, see where you can actually have those questions that'll get them to be able to come to the same terms as where you are right now as to why that change is important. If they don't like it, identify what is the underlying fears. And these are usually life-threatening fears. They don't need to be rational, but they come up within us. And then finally, how do you be someone that can build trust and you'll be able to actually be more successful when you bring these changes within the organization? Rick, Thank you so much for your time for coming on the show. This was a fantastic conversation. For everybody tuning in, be sure to go discover more of Rick's work. This will help you immensely, whether you're in a position of leadership or if you're leading a project of whatever capacity to bring those ideas forward. Thank you. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.